Hello there, and thanks so much for supporting the Music Career Show. My aim with this podcast is to help as many people as I can turn their passion for music into a career that can support them and their family by speaking to people who have actually done it and finding out how they've done it. With this in mind, I have developed my music career roadmap. This is a fully comprehensive and detailed step-by-step guide of how you can go from dreaming about your ideal career to actually implementing and living that dream. It is yours to download for free and can be found in the description of this episode. If you would like any support at any stage of your music career, you can reach out to me via email at barry at oneladmusic.com. I wish you all the best of luck and I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Music Career Show. Welcome to the Music Career Show, telling you the stories of the world's best professional musicians. Hello there and welcome to the Music Career Show. My name is Barry and every week I'll be speaking with incredible musicians from all over the world about how they've honed their craft and made a career out of doing what they love the most. If you're a new listener, then while you still have your device in your hand, please take a second to subscribe and tell your friends all about the Music Career Show. Hello there everybody and welcome back to the Music Career Show. Just in case you're new here, my name is Barry and every week I dive into the secrets of building a successful career in music with amazing musicians and music professionals from every sector imaginable. My aim is to get you inspired with real life stories and learn from industry insiders so that you can make music work. So please subscribe, review and share the podcast as far and wide as possible to unlock your potential as a musician and help me share the love. If you are perhaps a musician stuck in a nine-to-five lifestyle, then don't miss out on my free music career roadmap. This is a step-by-step guide of the exact steps that I took to build my business and make music work for me. And you'll find that in the description of this episode, or you can head over to onelabmusic.com forward slash roadmap. Now that we've gotten all the housekeeping out of the way, on this week's episode, I have got my first ever drummer. Out of 30 odd episodes, I have never ever had just a, well, when I say just a drummer, not just a drummer, but a drummer that, whose sole instrument is drums. So this guy really is, he's, he's as cool as they get. And my father-in-law heard that I had this guy coming on. He was, uh, he was very impressed. So uh, my guest today, his philosophy is to encourage, motivate and inspire you to work hard and then even harder to develop your craft. And it's my pleasure to introduce to you, Rob Beatdown Brown. How are we, Rob? Hello. What's happening? Not much yourself. Man, first of all, shame on you for not having any drummers on. It is not from lack of trying, I promise you. I have had <laughs> drummers, I have had harmonica players, I have had an accountant from the Cayman Islands, but I have never, ever, <laughs> I've just not been able, you were the first one to ever agree to come on. Well, I am honored to be the first one at the same time. So. Well, I'm honored that you were the first one, and thank you so much for coming on. I'm really looking forward to getting stuck in and having a chat with you today. But just in cool, case... Man. So, so before we start, just in case anyone hasn't heard of you just yet, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what it is that you do? Yeah, well, uh, my name's Rob Brown. Everybody calls me Beatdown. Um, I have a YouTube channel, and I just I go up there, and I just nerd out on drum stuff. And I've been playing now for probably well, almost years, I guess. And I just wow. decided, you know, it was a cool outlet to just share everything I knew about playing the drums. And then it just, it eventually just took off and it just became this thing. So it's cool. Excellent. Excellent. I love so much talking to, to, to people that are in your position that are like kind of full-time YouTubers and stuff because I always talk mm-hmm. about it on the podcast that this job didn't exist 10 years ago. It just simply just no. didn't exist. Um, yeah. And I love, love, love speaking to how uh, people have done it. So we're definitely going to get into all of that. 
Cool. As I always say, let's rewind a little bit. Rob, where did music all start for you? Um, well, let's see. How far back do you want to go? Um, How far back are you going to take us, my man? Well, as far as the drums go, I started playing when I was 17. All right. Um, Quite late to the game. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, that's considered pretty late in the game. Yeah. I think I always had a knack. I always had a knack for it. Yeah. Um, because it never felt like the first time I sat around a set of drums, like it never felt weird to me. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like yeah. picking up a blend and trying to work that out. It just it yeah. was it was comfortable right from the start. And I suppose I just had kind of a natural sort of knack for it. So, you know, I just sort of stayed on that track, stayed self-taught. Like I never really took any lessons or went to school or anything. Right. And um and it just yeah, it just it's it came from that. Like I just, I'm a big fan of music, listened to a lot of it, and eventually just started trying to play it, and that's how I learned how to play. Very good. So I mm-hmm. assume that back in the day, you didn't have the luxury of YouTube. That I, Well, I didn't even have the luxury of YouTube, really, when I was learning, and I'm no. well. So how did you self-teach back in the day? How did you manage to get there? Well, I like to tell this story. My first set of drums was an imaginary kit. So it was a two milk crates and a couple of pieces of cardboard sticks. Yes. And I would sit down in the basement and I would throw on a lot of my favorite albums. And I knew exactly how, like when you see my kit now on YouTube, yeah, that's pretty much exactly how my imaginary kit was set up. So where the symbols are and everything else. And, uh, and uh, yeah, man, I would go down in the basement and I would sit on these two milk crates and I would put on like police albums and big country albums and, the Smiths and whatever else I was into at the time. Yeah. And I would just air drum to these things and just kind of imagine hitting everything that I was hearing. Isn't. And uh, that's how I learned how to play, man. Just like, you know, level 42 and just a bunch of like all my favorite albums. I would throw them on and I'd be down there two or three hours without an actual drum kit playing along to this music. So by the time I got my real set of drums, I knew exactly how to set it up. And I just sort of carried on. That's that's really handy. It's so yeah. so handy. <laughs> I wish it was that simple for a guitar. I literally remember when I was I got my first guitar at thirteen, and I literally remember one day about six months, six seven months in, I got so frustrated at just how slow I was going, and I was determined that I, I, my my kind of idea of success at having I have learned guitar now was being able to play a Sweet Child of Mine, and I remember one afternoon mm. I sat down and I had a tab book of um, Guns N' Roses Greatest Hits. And I literally played every single note one after the other in of Sweet Child of Mine with like one finger. Um, and it took me like, like you say, like two or three hours to actually get through every single note. But I was like, I'm fucking, I'm yeah. getting there. I'm getting there. I'm absolutely getting there. And I was, um, so yeah, if only I had the foresight to, to air drum, air guitar. I don't really know if it would work too much, but uh, no, fair enough. No, that, that, that's an interesting approach. It's a new one on me for sure. And then, so yeah, you were seventeen. Yeah. yeah, you were seventeen when you started. You were self-taught. I would imagine then the bands and stuff like that weren't too far off. Not too far off. No, it's um, probably three years into it is when I actually started playing with people. Okay. Up until that point, it was just playing along the records and stuff like that. And then, you know, I guess word got out that. I played the drums and somebody called me for a gig. My first gig was with this R&B band in some pool hall or something, like a cover gig. Cool. And that was my first actual gig playing with people. And I might have been, yeah, I think I was probably like early 20 or something like that. Amazing. And, um, 
Yeah, but the cool thing is, like, they had no no idea when they hired me. They had no clue that it was my first gig ever. I just sort of acted like I've been doing this, like I'm, you know, old hat already at 20. Yeah, yeah. They didn't know it was my first gig, and I didn't tell them. Oh, why would you tell <laughs> so, them? Why would you? Do you know what I mean? They've why would you tell them? them? They don't need to. Yeah. No, they don't need to know. They don't need to know. It's on a need-to-know basis. Forgiveness and permission, as we say exactly. over here. Um, and how did, how did that go? How did it go? So obviously that was your first gig. It was like your first time playing in front of people. Like, by the sounds of it, it was with, like an already kind of half-established band. You weren't kind of used to playing with the guys. How did it work? No, well, I mean, it was all right, but it was still, it was a little nerve-wracking. And I do remember kind of being called out for playing too much, you know, uh, as a lot of young people do. Yeah. Um, but that was the first and only time anyone ever called me out for playing too much. From that point, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to dial this in and make sure that doesn't happen again. Good stuff. Fair <laughs> play. Did. Fair you play. Know? God, yeah. I usually have to get told about 10, 12, 15, a million times to, to just relax, <laughs> just relax. And I'm like, all oh, right, grand, yeah. no, but, yeah, man. Um, very good. So obviously you were kind of, as we were saying, you were not late to the game, but later than a lot. Um, was music ever really on the cards in terms of like, a career path or had you a different idea at that age? Well, I've always kind of imagined playing with bands. Like ever since yeah. before I got the kit, you know, the whole thing with the milk crates and stuff that was me sort of imagining myself playing with bands. So yeah, I knew eventually it was going to happen. I didn't know necessarily that I was going to make a career out of it, um, but I did know eventually I was going to start playing with people. So um yeah, it's always been sort of a, you know, high school kind of daydream, bringing, you know, doing the buses and the big stages and all that type of stuff. So, you know, I guess it was always there, but I never knew. I didn't think it was going to actually be, you know, the way I paid my mortgage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was just something that I always, because everybody wants to do, everybody that plays a, an instrument dreams of the same stuff. So yeah, like I've always it's always been in the back of my mind, but I didn't think it was going to turn into to this. So yeah, absolutely. I, I've literally said the thing that I've said on pretty much every single podcast that I've ever done, and I'd say people listening are sick to death of hearing me saying it. But like you say, when you're a kid and you think about music, what do you want to be when you grow up? You want to be a rock star. But nowadays, mm. that kind of that that rock star idea has turned into YouTuber podcaster, online course maker, yeah. um, gear yep. demoer, do you know what I mean? Um, crazy, content creator. That is what Rockstar kind of means nowadays. Um, and mm. yeah, I was a kid, I never ever thought that I would be <laughs> sitting in this, like this studio, the studio looks really cool when you look at it, but it's basically a shed in my garden. I never thought I'd be sitting in a shed in my mm. garden talking to Rob Beatdown Brown in Canada. That would be kind of like <laughs> part of my job. Do you know what I mean? Crazy. Yeah. And if you, yeah, if, if you said, I tell you, man, people, yeah, that's uh, I mean, we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but that's probably the coolest part about visualization, yeah, you know what I mean? I, yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, I've always, yeah. I'm a big, I'm huge on visualization and um, and why it's important and what it can turn into. Like, I have several different examples of just you know, just doing that. You don't have to figure out how you're going to get there. Or what it's going to look like when you get there. Yeah. Just keep imagining yourself doing it. And then, you know, during that path, things will sort of fall into your path and you'll meet the right people. And all of these things will just kind of happen on their own. And then you'll just, you find yourself doing it. And then you'll look back and think, holy crap, 
Uh, this is freaking crazy. Like, I didn't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dude, I'm, yeah. So, I'm such a big believer that po positive affirmations and all that and ma manifestations, like you're saying, mm -hmm. visualization. It's a real thing. It's a powerful thing. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic yeah. thing. So, what happened after that first gig then? Where where, how, where did your kind of career path lead you then? Um, well, it was, I mean, on that side of it, really, it just kind of, I'm not going to say it dried up, but like I wasn't playing like a ton of gigs after that one. Like I spent, mm. I remember spending most of my time just practicing. Okay. And when gigging, when gigging really started to pick up, it wasn't until like much later, like mid 20s. Okay. Um, which I'm fine with because during that time period, you know what I mean? Like it was just three, four hours a day practicing. Yeah. Um, so by the time I was ready to play with people, I was good to go. Like I was ready to, you know, I was ready to do it. Yeah. And then eventually, yeah, like it's just, I just started, uh, you know, just getting out there, playing gigs, meeting people while I was out there and just making more connections and then just, you know, playing with a bunch of different people. And that's pretty much how it started. How it started. Fantastic. Yeah, well, I suppose it has to start somewhere. And then did you ever like yeah. end up playing with like anyone like really famous? Um, I don't know if really famous would be the term, but I've played with some notable artists. Yeah. And I've done some really cool things you know, with some major label stuff. Um, but, you know, like I haven't done any like international arena tours or anything like that. It was just, it was all in Canada. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, there's been some cool experiences for sure. Yeah. That's okay. I've, I've never done any arenas internationally or nationally. So yeah. you're still ahead of me. What about what, 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 some of these names? Go on, see, try me, see if I know who they are. Oh, geez. I wouldn't even friggin'. I mean, I play with, uh, I've done... Some shows with Carvin Winans. I've played with. Uh, there's uh, this country act out of Nashville called the Stellas. There were okay. two, there was a show on on. There was a show on called Nashville a few years back, hey. and the two daughters that were on the show, Lennon and Maisie, they were sort of you know they had this famous video where they were doing this cover with and they were playing these cups on a table, and these two girls blew up and then they ended up on this show called the Cup Song that was in Pitch Perfect. Yeah, remember them? I do, yeah. I remember them. Yeah. yeah. So I played with their parents for about three years. Ah, and, there you uh, go. And their yeah, their parents were like incredible songwriters. They still are, actually. Um, we're all from the same area up here. In okay. And, uh, and, you know, we just for, I can't remember exactly how it happened, but we became friends. And when they got signed to their major, they, their major label, EMI at the time. Cool. Um, they were putting a band together and they called me up and said, hey man, we'd love to have you come play some shows with us. And from there, like, you know, there's that's when all the really cool stuff happened. You know what I mean, we went on a short run with Zach Brown band across Canada, which is really cool. I, I, I know uh, them class. They're amazing. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. We did like short run of dates um, across Canada with uh, Zach Brown. And from there, you know, I just sort of ended up meeting other people in the same sort of pop country circle. Yeah. And yeah, and I just ran that for a bit. So I think I know more drummers that play with famous people than, you know, famous people that I play with. So it's all, it's all relevant. It's all, it's all good stuff. So yeah, very, much, very much then in the kind of the working drummer scene. And when you were touring, so like, I've toured, right? I've toured America and stuff like that, and I've played abroad. And I play guitar, I mandolin, play a few other things, but guitar is my main one. So whenever <clears> I'm going somewhere, 
I just put my guitar in my back, maybe a mic stand and a little backpack full of like microphones and stuff. That's not yeah. as simple when you've got a full however many piece drum kit like like what you would have. So how does like how does that work? Do you get a roadie or how what how does that work? Well, in that situation, there's um there was backline. By that time, when I got when I joined the Stellas, by that time I'd hooked up with Yamaha. So when you're with a company, yeah. then you can arrange what's called cartage. You can get drums sent to the venue to play. And Aww. then they pick it up when the gig's done. That's you know I mean? So you don't necessarily, yeah, you don't have to, like when you're doing the cross country stuff, you can set all that stuff up. When we were doing things around Ontario, then yeah, I would bring my own drums and it would stuff it all underneath the bus. And then we tear it, we, you know, bring it out, set it up, kind of stuff. We did have a couple of helping hands to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like when, you know, if you're able to drive to the gig, yeah, just take your own drums. We prefer to play our own kits anyway. Absolutely. Right. It's just yeah. a comfort it's a comfort thing. Yeah. So yeah, so that's how that works. But it's one of the it's one of the sweet things about having an endorsement is that you can call your company up, yeah. give them the dates that you're playing, and they'll yeah. arrange to have drums sent to those venues for you. And then they pick them up when you're done. That is really handy. And that's actually brought us beautifully into the next talking point I have, which is endorsement. So I know that you mentioned mm-hmm. Yamaha. Um how does someone go about getting endorsed? Um, well, before you, the, th- the whole misconception about endorsements, which I always find funny, is that they think as soon as you get one, you know, big old U-Haul truck is going to show up at your house and give you all this free gear. Yeah. That's not how it works. Endorsements are all about relationship. It's 100% sort of, you know, it's a really, it's 50-50, right? Okay. So that to say, if you don't need an endorsement, like if you don't need support, there's no need for you to chase down any company for that okay. kind of thing. Because if that's the only reason that you're going to a company, they're not going to look at you. Because at the end of the day, it's all about getting their gear in front of people. That's yeah. the reason why these companies hook up with artists because they're, you know, they have a presence out there, either online yeah. or you're with a busy band or something. And it's the entire reason why you see company names on the front drum head yeah right because you're a young drummer you're sitting down on the stage and you go see your favorite band and you know you see yamaha on the bass drum when you're ready to get a set of drums you're probably gonna end up getting a pair of yamaha that's how i got all my gear right yeah um but as far as approaching companies i would suggest that you don't even let them come to you if companies come to you it means you're gonna get it yeah uh but if you just start sending them packages and stuff like that, I mean, sometimes it happens, but they get so much stuff sent yeah. to them and they really don't even spend much time looking at any of it. A lot of people that get endorsements is because the company approached them because they see, okay, this person is doing this thing and is doing this and doing that and whatever, but that's not where it ends. Like they also find out what you can do for them mm. once they sign you on as a partner, right? Because yeah, it's not enough anymore to just be in a busy band. No, not there's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people in busy bands. They want to know, you know, what can you do for the company and turn, you know, for if we're going to support you and give you what you need when you need it, what are you going to do for us? Yeah. So that means doing clinics. Are you good at doing clinics and doing in stores and uh, and stuff like that where you can promote their gear? 
Are you an educator? Educators get endorsements. There's a lot of educators that you never heard of with endorsements because guess what? They got 40, 50 students a week coming to them and there's a Sonar kit or a Yamaha kit or a Pearl kit sitting in the room. That's influence. Yeah, of course. Right? Yep, absolutely. So <clears throat> you don't have to be a super, you don't have to be Dave Wackel to get an endorsement deal. You can be just somebody with 50 students and you're just as valuable to that company as the one that's doing all the big tours and stuff. Well, that's really interesting so, because if there is a drum teacher out there in, in the podcast first listening to this or indeed watching it on YouTube and or any sort of a, an, an instrument um, tutor, guitar, bassoon, fucking I don't know, spoons, and mm. they have got a full roster of students, but they are in their own little shed in their garden in the middle of nowhere. Is it worth then reaching out to the likes of Yamaha or Ludwig or Ibanez or whoever or any of these other brands are and saying, listen, I've got X amount of students. What can we do for mm -hmm. each other? You can if you want. I don't know why you would, because if you're not touring, then why do you need support? If all you're doing is if you're in your, just in your room teaching 50 students a week, then you know I don't know why you would need the sort of the benefits and the things that come with getting an endorsement aside from telling your friends you got an endorsement. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but if you're in a band now and you're doing a bunch of dates, endorsements help because again, they can support you while you're out on the road. You don't have to take your own drums halfway across the country. You can give them the dates. Oh, yeah. They can arrange to send the gear there. You can play it and then they take it back. But if you're not doing yeah. any touring, why do you need an endorsement? You really don't. Like it's not. Yeah. This it's not that simple that a lot of people make it out to be. Yeah. No, you know, it is. It's a it's, it, I suppose. I suppose it is just more of a kind of clout and authority thing that if old Johnny in his shed in the middle of I don't know somewhere is he's got an yeah. endorsement or an affiliate deal with whoever it does, it just makes him sound that little bit um, cooler. But I suppose that's it, it, it's it's like yours. You said at the top there, it's like endorsements aren't what people. The big misconception that if you get an endorsement, all of a sudden you're just going to be rolling around in toms everywhere. It's not like that. It's, it, it is a relationship. But then some of the other um, endorsements that you have. So for example, uh, like Evans and Promark and stuff. I use Promark as well. They're fantastic and Evans, mm -hmm. excellent stuff mm -hmm. with the Dario and um, and Peist symbols. Does that same thing? Does that same relationship work? So if can you specify if you're gigging somewhere at the far end of where, the other side of the country from you, where you are, you need your Yamaha yeah. kit with your specific Evans uh, heads and specific Pice symbols, or is that a little mm -hmm. bit too far? Uh, no, you can get like if you wanted to, you can arrange all of that stuff with your companies. But basically, anything that you can't travel with, you can yeah. arrange to get there through your company. That's um, right. So if you don't feel like, you know, if you got a symbol deal and you know, you don't feel like traveling with your own symbols because you know the airline's going to lose them. Yeah. Um, and you can set it up with the company to have some symbols sent there for you. Um, whatever set that you play, they'll try to hook that up. And it's usually done through, like, the major, whatever major backline company is in that area. Oh, uh, okay. It's, it's handled, yeah, it's handled through them. It doesn't come straight from the company. Yeah, right? gotcha. There's sort of a go-between between you and whatever either the Cardis company or the back company is in that area. And then um, <clears throat> and then they can have the stuff sent over there, which is handy. Yeah. But <clears throat> a couple of things to go with that. Again, number one, if you're not doing any touring, then why would you need that, number one? Yeah. 
Um, and then the other thing too is it says something about how, you know, a lot of people just for the sake of telling people that they have an endorsement of whatever company, they'll hook up with these one-off sort of mom pop independent um, drum manufacturers. Okay. That uh, you know they build these custom numbers and they look really cool and all that kind of stuff, and then they look for people in the area to play their gear just to sort of help them promote it. Yeah, yeah. But if you're in a busy band and you're with this smaller company that can't support you if you're in Los Angeles mm-hmm. because they don't have anything out there, right? They're just a little shop. Yeah. Then what's the point in getting yeah. that endorsement? So, you know, these young, there's a lot of young cats that will, you know, they'll hook up with these small companies. They'll feel a little bit important because, you know, Thunderstar Drums over here has signed you on and they're throwing your picture on their website or whatever. Yeah. But they can't do anything for you as far as support because they're just an independent shop, right? Yeah. Or as Pearl, if you hook up with Pearl or Yamaha or Sonar or whatever, anywhere you are on the planet, they can hook yeah. you up. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So in that yeah. respect, endorsement deals with these smaller companies don't benefit you at all. Like it's just a way for them to get their good in front of people, which I'm not knocking the marketing. I mean, if it helps them yeah. get their name out, that's cool. But I'm just saying, as far as the support goes on uh, you know, a local or a national or, or international level, they don't have the capacity to do that. So in that respect, those smaller deals are useless, really. Like they don't they yeah, won't do yeah. anything for you. I get you. That, that's a really interesting take. It was something that I've never been involved in any sort of like endorsements or affiliate, affiliates or anything along those lines. So it was always, I had, mm-hmm. I probably had that misconception as well. It was that, oh yeah, if I get endorsed by Ibanez, I'm going to get a lot of guitars thrown at me. That's going to be great. I'm going to have even more guitars yeah. taking up all the space. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, no, I'm really interesting, um, really interesting take on it. So uh, let's talk about some of the albums that you did. Now, I know that you did a drumless album, which I cannot praise you enough for. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Ever since starting teaching myself, um, I know that playing along to a drumless track or a guitarless track or a whateverless track mm. is the best way to learn because kind of like what you were saying, that's how we all used to learn back in the day was that we'd literally just kind of play along and try imagine what the song would sound like without our part in it yeah. and we were filming that part. So w- w- was that like the inspiration for the drumless album or what happened? It Yeah, it totally was, man. Like I've a lot of people that watch my channel, they know how big of a fan I am of playing along the music when you learn. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best ways to learn how to play. Yeah. And it's even better if you're able to play along with songs that don't have any drums on them at all. Yeah. yeah because you can do your own thing with it and get creative and come up with your own parts and all that type of stuff. Because when it comes to stuff like that, there's really no right or wrong way to, to play them. When you're playing along with a song from one of your favorite bands, you want to learn all the licks and all the same fills and all the same grooves and stuff. But there's value to making up your own parts and your own fills and stuff like that. Because when you go to play with people, you know, depending on who you play with, yeah. parts are either going to be handed to you or you're going to work it out in a jam session or whatever, what parts to play here, what parts to play there. So, you know, it's just, it all helps with you building your vocabulary when you're able to along with, uh, with songs with no drums on them. So you can yeah. do your own thing with them. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, so, building up your vocabulary. It seems to be, uh, uh, there, there seems to be a bit of a trend on like TikTok that I see popping up every now and then where it's like, 
the question is, oh, so you think drummers don't control the groove of the song or the tempo or the pace or something along those lines, some sort of language like that. And then they'll have mm. one song played in like eight different styles and every single beat, like it could be a metal beat over eagles or something like that. And it works. It yeah. really, really yeah. If you're able to put the beats into the right parts of the bar, there's no stopping yeah. you. Like, so for the drumless album, then, um, do you play any other instruments, or did you have to like hire other instrument or other um musicians in to play those instruments or to write those parts? No. Or how would it work? No, that those two albums that I got available, um, I did them all up here in my office studio with a little oh, MIDI cool. keyboard, not a MIDI, but a little USB keyboard, and I did it in Logic. And they were just sort of ideas that I had um, for drummers of any level to yeah. play along with. So, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I can work my way around a keyboard. Like, I'm not, I've never hired myself out as a keyboardist. Yeah. But I'm familiar with it and I can get my way around it and I can get what's in my head out onto the keys. Fantastic. Um, so, so, yeah, so I was able to, you know, I did all of those songs on the album over the stretch of maybe four weeks or so, four or five weeks. And uh, yeah, I did it all up here and, uh, and just sort of said, okay, let's, you know, what can we do that, um, you know, even a beginner that can only just go boom, bap can still play yeah. along with yeah. in the beginning. And, uh, and that's it. Like, I've, you know, there are other, you know, play along albums out there that have real musicians on them that I'm kind of jealous of. But this, I think the stuff that I put out still helps people. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, I'm not. Yeah, like I'm not. Uh, I didn't have the budget to hire real musicians and work out arrangements and all that sort of kind of stuff. So I just let me just yeah. do it all here, do what I know, put it out there, and. But it's the law. It's the law of diminishing returns. Just because you say you had a budget of a hundred pounds, for example, to go and buy your USB keyboard, that's what you had the budget for, as opposed to someone mm. that has ten thousand pounds to hire a band. Does that mean that the album that they produce is going to be? a thousand times better than yours just because they exactly. spend a thousand times the budget. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. In fact, probably not at all. It's probably going to be, some people are going to like your one more than the more than the band one. Some people are going to like the band one more than your one. Most people probably wouldn't even know the difference between if it was real instruments exactly, or, right. or MIDI instruments because I use Logic as well myself and it's fantastic and the sounds on that are just it's, yeah, yeah. Like, like we were saying, Killer. 10, 15 years ago, or maybe 20 years ago, we'll say, when we when I was growing up anyway, that just wasn't a thing. That's amazing. No. That's amazing. No. Uh, what a time to be alive. Um, but anyway, speaking of things that weren't around and what a time to be alive, YouTube. So mm-hmm. what so so obviously you've got a massive following on YouTube. Um how where did that all start? Well, my uh, my channel's been up since 2006 which i believe is when youtube started yeah that's so my channel has right. been up since yeah it's been up like since the very beginning so yeah, i've always kind of been putting stuff up there but just for the sake of you know every once in a while whenever i felt like it, i would just pop up a video yeah so um over the stretch of you know the next 10 years or so every once in a while i just throw up a video because outside of that, I had a full-time job and I was gigging outside of that as well. So I wasn't de- devoting like a ton of time to it. Yeah. So leading up to, you know, when I had left my full-time job, I used to work in a music store. All right. And when I left that job to pursue music full-time, it was to play with the band that we were talking about before, the Stellas. Yeah. Um, 
because some good things were happening with that band. Yeah. Attention was there. So I said, you know what? I talked to my wife. I'm like, you know what? We can afford, let's see if we can, let's see if I can just go to part-time now for a little bit, make up the extra dough with what I'm doing outside of that. And yeah. then eventually I'll just leave altogether and pursue this whole thing full time. Yeah. So that around 20, I think 2012 was when I left my job. Okay. And so for the next three years, things were really good. And when I say really good, when I say really good, I mean, I was doing a lot of playing. There was a lot of really cool opportunities and experiences that I had over that yeah. three year stretch with this band. Everything that I used to daydream about in high school happened during that three year stretch. All the yeah. arenas and tour buses and the hotels and even flew on a private jet once, which is really cool. Oh, um, yeah, it was really cool. But then in 2016, I had a crappy year because I had suffered this uh, pinched nerve thing in my neck. Ooh. And it fried my entire left arm. So I was out oh, for like no, a good eight weeks or so. Couldn't do anything with it. It's just like my whole arm was just messed up. So it was during that time, I was sort of rethinking things and like, because this is really, like, am I going to have to get a job now? Because this is really like, I can't keep going like this. Yeah. So. It was during that time I took a look at my channel because by the time that hit, YouTube had become much more of a machine and people were yeah. starting to monetize videos and they started making money on YouTube. So I remember I looked, I went into my analytics and I looked at my channel and I saw that I made like 15 bucks and I freaked out. <laughs> I thought, I just made 15 bucks making videos in my house. This is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. So it was during that time I decided, okay, instead of going to get a real job, let me see if I devote 100% of my time into this channel, I think I can turn it into something. So yeah. I went out and, and uh, invested in a camera and I just started making like a video a week. Yeah. Nonstop. And then, you know, I got some, I think I was using uh, iMovie or something to make my first batch of videos. And then over, long story short, over the next three years or so, I just saw my audience growing like people were really connecting with these videos yeah and by the time like 2019 hit i think i had like 50 50 000 subscribers or something like that and then yeah. once i hit 50 000 it just it went bananas from there wow it just took off and then all of a sudden it just turned into this full-time job and Fantastic. it's been my full-time job ever since so that's amazing. How long did it take yeah. you then? And if from so so 2016, you said you'd 15 quid from uh, mm -hmm. your completely passively that you weren't aware of, and you decided I'm going to go all in. How long did it take you to actually get to a point where you were comfortable sustaining yourself on this? I'd say by the time I hit, uh, I think the end of 2019. By the time I hit the end of 2019, I was making more than I was making at my full time job, and that's oh, when I knew, go. okay, this is it. Yeah, And then it just kept growing from there. Yeah. There's no way that I would have been able to make the same income um, if I got the job that I wanted, which was touring musicians. Yeah. There's a very small percentage of musicians that, um, that are making a really good, sustainable living uh, just doing tours and, you know, sessions and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but the trade-off is they're never home. You, you got to mm -hmm. keep it up. It's like spinning plates, right? Yeah. You got to keep the gigs coming. So when the pandemic hit, that's when it really sort of hit me. And it's like, okay, I'm glad I didn't get the job I wanted because I would have been sitting for two years not doing anything. 
Yeah, like us, like um, me. Yeah. <laughs> not fun. But, you know, two of my, yeah, not fun at all. Two of my best financial years were those pandemic years. Yeah. You know, it never affected my income because more people were home watching videos. Yep. So more people had time to to actually invest in in themselves. They had more actual money mm-hmm. to invest in in learning because they weren't going out at the weekend. They were saving. I remember, yeah, 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 I remember all this. I had just bef- two weeks before lockdown, I took a job. I left my full time job. Uh, I took a job as a guitar teacher going just as a mobile guitar teacher going around to students' houses. Two weeks later, we were in lockdown mm. and we had to figure out how to teach guitar over FaceTime. And um, yeah, so you had already obviously yeah. inadvertently uh, figured out how to sort of pandemic proof or recession proof that where we all had to kind of learn on the fly and just try and keep treading water. Like, Yeah, man. Yeah, I had already been set up by that time and established pretty nicely. So nothing really slowed down for me during the pandemic years, which is really cool. And, um, you know, the other cool thing about this, you know, when you have a fairly popular channel, then it opens up a lot of other doors for you as far as different streams of income. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that you can sort of incorporate into your channel. And that's what I've been doing, you know, you know, you kept touching off the top about, um how if things the way things are now it's not like they were 10 years ago 15 years ago and it's 100 percent true the idea of being a full-time musician in like 95 isn't what it is now yeah right before you know it was gigs tours teaching the main three but now man there's like there's so many freaking things that you can do with whatever instrument that you're playing yeah and it doesn't have to, it doesn't just have to be YouTube. You know, hopefully uh-huh. it's not because you'll be missing out on a lot of different uh, other ways to sort of set up different streams of income that, um, that can really set you up nicely. You know what I mean? Like you're never going to make a ton of dough doing just one thing. Like the key is yeah. diversification. The more you can do, the better. The more sort of hats you can dip your hand to, the better it's going to work out for you, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. So that. So, what are some of those right. things that that you're doing? Those, those extra streams that you're bulking out your your um your income with? Well, the, there's aside from the uh, the revenue I get from YouTube, there's also partnership and affiliate marketing, which is cool. Yep. The thing is, like, when you you become pretty attractive to companies once you have an established channel, because you're literally your own TV channel. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right, which means people are going to want to advertise their stuff on your channel. Yeah, so that's why a lot of you know a lot of people that you follow—not just drummers, but other you know—if there's other people that you follow, um, when you see them start doing sponsored videos and you know gear reviews and stuff like that, that's mm-hmm. all. Those are all different streams of income, man. Don't slam them yeah. for doing that. Don't call them sellouts or whatever. They're just growing. Opportunities yeah. are coming and they're taking advantage of them. That's the whole point of this entire exactly. thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, outside of uh, the YouTube channel, I do affiliate marketing with Sweetwater, uh, with Tommen in Europe. Yeah. Um, there's a few other companies that I'm partnering up with. I've, I'm a partner with Drumeo now, oh, cool. which happened a couple of years ago, which is great. Yeah. So, there's that side. I also sell music like music downloads, the two albums you were talking about before. Yeah. 
Um, I do that. I got into merch a few years ago, which is a big part of my channel. So there's that. Yeah. Um, and then there's the gigging. I still gig occasionally. So there's that income as well. But the cool thing, man, two cool things that I want to mention about my channel. Number one, yeah. before when we were talking about endorsements, when I was with, um, when I was gigging full time and I was with Alice and stuff, um, you know, I was out there a lot and was doing a lot of playing. I had the Yamaha deal by the time that happened. Yeah. All of the other ones that I got didn't happen until I got the channel. Oh, wow. So more opportunities came my way after I had an established YouTube channel. Then that's when Peisty reached out and that's when I hooked up with the Dario. That's how the Evans thing happened. Chromar, all of that type of stuff. Yeah, all yeah. of those came as a result of the channel. Um, so that's just, you know, it's another, it's just another example of, you know, just, you don't just have to be in a busy band to get yeah. an endorsement deal. Like you can be doing other stuff that other companies will see value in. And that's how you become attractive to, uh, to these other companies. So, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention about my channel is that as far as my income goes, my overall income, like I didn't really start to, um, to make a good, sustainable, full-time income until I put gigging way down on the priority list, like okay. way down. Um, and that's not to say like if you're pursuing going, doing the session thing or being in a band or whatever, do that because it's going to be the coolest job you'll ever have in your entire life. Yeah. But don't just rely on that. You got to sit down and you got to think about what other things can you do related to the drums or to whatever other instrument that you're doing. Take a look at what else you can sort of incorporate into what you're doing because the possibilities now are freaking ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. So don't just focus on that. You can make that. You can keep visualizing and seeing yourself on the stages that you want to see yourself on. You keep doing that eventually happen. But while you're doing that, think of other things that you can sort of bring into that circle and relate to your instrument. Because there's a lot, if you think about yeah. it. Very good. I love that. That's 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 one of the things that I'm quite big on in my um my, my coaching um thing with other musicians is that there are so many ways to monetize what you're doing nowadays that it doesn't just have to be mm -hmm. gig. Gigging is probably the least lucrative. Uh, because you literally are trading oh my gosh, yeah. time for money, which is crazy. When you think about mm -hmm. how much one one musician can charge for some for a big event like a wedding or something like that, and you're like, oh Christ, that that's a mm -hmm. it's a huge amount of money to get in your hand at one time. But you've worked so so hard. You've learned the set list. You've gone to the venue. You've packed up the car, the van. You've unloaded the car, the van. So you've done a full like a full work, week's work, worth of work in one day, and you're just literally trading time for money. Whereas you could have spent that time doing something like what you're doing and have all these different kind of have a grow arms and legs like that um so yeah man. It, in the same sort of vein so then if you're devoting most of your time to um the youtube channel then how much time on on the weekly is that i work as far as physical hours i work two days a week so i shoot on tuesdays Tuesdays is full day. I start around two o'clock and then I'm probably editing till maybe midnight by the time that's all done. So that's a full eight to 10 hour day usually. Yep. And then like half day Wednesday is spent finishing up the video and then, you know, getting it all ready for YouTube and marketing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
and permit once it's been uploaded. So just taking advantage of all your different uh, social media platforms. Um, and there's more of those happening too, because now there's like YouTube shorts, there's Instagram stories, there's TikTok. There's a lot of different ways that you can use to promote your content. So you got to yeah. devote some time to all of that too. Um, so those are my two main work days during the week. Usually it's uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And then for the most part, the rest of my week, as far as physical hours, is free. So yeah. I can do, you know, if any gigs come my way, I can easily shuffle things around, you know, if I need to, and still keep the ball rolling without a problem. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because, you know, times, because I'd, I'd have these conversations with my wife about it, and she would have to remind me sometimes of just how much work goes into what I'm doing. Because when I say like I only work two days a week, it doesn't mean that for the rest of the week, I'm just sort of, you know, throwing my feet up and sipping beers and whatever. But I, at one point, man, there was one point where I think it was probably like a Thursday afternoon, two o'clock, and I was just sitting on a patio chilling. Yeah. And I'm like, I should be, should I be doing something right now? Like I'm, <laughs> I like, yeah. I got all this free time. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I started to feel sort of not really guilty, but I'm just like, Maybe I should be, you know, doing more stuff. Uh, and then my wife reminded me of something really important. She's like, listen, you work on Tuesdays, you work on Wednesdays. Those are physical hours. The rest of the time during the week is mental, right? Yeah. And when she made that point, I didn't realize just how much of a mental sort of, I don't want to say strain, but there's a significant there's a significant mental load that goes in to um to having a youtube channel because outside of making your video outside of that once that one's done you got to start thinking about the next one so you're constantly thinking about content outside of physically shooting your video yeah so in that respect yeah okay i'm working maybe 18 to 20 hours a week but the other 40 is up here and that can be a that can be a big load, man. Yeah. So I don't, it's not something that I really put a lot of thought into until I decide to take a week off from shooting videos. And you get that break where you just don't have to think about anything. That's yeah. the point where you realize just how much stuff goes in to maintaining this channel. Because yeah. I hope you know what I was mentioning before about the spinning plates thing. If you stop making videos, you stop making money. And, you know, when you want, if, we, if you're really serious about putting out good content, that is constantly in your head and it's on yeah. your mind all the time. So you're working overtime in your head outside of shooting that video on that one day or two days a week. Yeah. And, uh, and that can be a lot. So there is a ton of work that goes in to maintaining a YouTube channel. If that's something that, you're looking into doing. Um, there's a lot of stuff, man. Like there's, you're, you're going to be putting in a lot of mental hours. Yeah. Into keeping it going because you got to keep your content up, keep your content up, and keep your revenue up, and everything's cool. But as soon as you stop doing that, you know, yeah. you'll see things start to drop. On so yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's worth saying on that point that as much as it, and I know you didn't want to use the word strain, but I get it. I completely get it. Um, you've worked. And put years and years of craft and work and to be able to just physically work those two days a week. 
Um, exactly. And you deserve it and you shouldn't feel guilty about it. It's funny when you were saying there about the mental strain is something that you never thought of. When I was, when I live in Aberdeen in Scotland and when I moved here, I'm originally from Ireland, but I moved here in 2014 and um, I have no, I've got a, a some sort of a qualification in sound engineering and other than that, that's it I've got no qualifications bar what I've learned myself through life and I always had to just do other jobs here and there and I found that like I could work a job <clears throat> nine to five every week uh, for a, a job that I was no no good at that I hated because I knew that I was going to get gigging at the weekend and that was my mental release that was that that was I was so buzzing for that but all week leading up to that it was all that was on my mind. And until I could actually get that physical mental release on a Friday night, a Saturday night, and I'd do a Sunday afternoon, maybe I'd do two on a, on a Saturday. So I could do five or six gigs over a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I was literally mm. working every single day. But it was because of the Monday to Friday, the mental strain of, it's like the creative sort of mind is just, is forever going. And yep. then when I, and I actually started doing music full time, just to bring it back to what you were saying, when I started doing music full time, I realized that the gigging, was an absolute, was the total opposite. It was that I had so much of a, like kind of a creative release during the week, teaching guitar or um, doing whatever, running my music school or whatever it was that I was doing, that when I came to gigging at the all I wanted to do was just sit down and have a beer and relax and actually not yeah. think about music. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's mad. The thing that you, like, like you're saying, the things that you visualize, the things you man, manifest so much is now the thing that's actually is wearing you out. It's crazy. Um, yeah, I just man. thought that was really, I thought that was so, so interesting yeah. when, when you said that. So then how do, if yeah, you're man. saying then they need to kind of be on the ball every week, how do you take a week off? Do you just, bank up some content, like just work four days one week and then you can take a week off or how does that work? Um, it, it's a lot of times it happens that way. Yeah. Like you can sort of set up, um, you know, you can have some content in the can and schedule it to come out during your week off, which is great to do. Of course. Um, the strain sometimes can be coming up with content because the thing with YouTube is that it, it's so unpredictable. And one thing that I had to learn is that just because you have one hit video doesn't mean your next one is going to perform the same way. Of course. Right? Mm. You throw up a video and it gets 100,000 views in a month. You're like, holy crap, this is killing. All I got to do is come up with three more like this and I'm all set. No. You could have one go up and in the first week you get 60,000 views and then one, you know, during the first three days might only get five or 6,000. Yeah. So that's when the whole, that's when the mental thing starts to really get to you because you know you want to be able to keep the plates spinning right and you can't do that unless you're constantly nursing your channel but you might have one video that performs really well your next one might not do so well and that can really that can get inside your head and kind of almost discourage you a little bit because again if you want to keep your revenue up you got to keep your content up you know, this video that performed really well is going to make you X amount of dollars. Whereas the next one is like, okay, you know. So now what happens is you're sitting there, you're trying to figure out what worked with this video and how can I do that again with this video? And that can really get to your head, man. So, you know, you really have to sort of, you just, you can't think about that. The only thing that you really have to think about is just putting out just good, consistent, quality kind and don't worry about how well it's going to perform how it's not going because you can't there's no way of predicting that i don't care 
what kind of topic you think you can come up with that you think is going to be a hit. You just don't know until you put yeah. it out and people respond to it. So, um, you know, that uh, you'll spend a lot of time thinking about that and realize that there's really not much point to it. So when you're thinking about what type of video to do week after week, you can have sort of an idea a week ahead of time. A lot of times, I don't know what I'm doing until the day before shoot day. Oh, wow. And sometimes that video shoots right up, and then sometimes it just kind of coasts. It's like, okay, you know, we'll just we'll pick it up again the next week. You just don't know. There's me of telling how it's going to perform. You can say, okay, I'm going to, maybe it's my upload time. Maybe I should do it on this day instead of this day because more people will be. No, that's got nothing to do with it either. You yeah. just don't know. You can put your video up midnight on a Sunday and it's really not going to make any difference whether you do it then or, you know, a Thursday afternoon at three o'clock. People are going to yeah. watch it when it comes up in their feed. So yeah. don't put too much thought into that. Just worry about putting out really good, consistent content um, and then just keep going. But, you know, what I was saying before um, about it, again, being a mental strain. The thing about having a channel, man, is that you have all of this freedom and you're 100% in control. That can be a good thing, but that can also be the stressful thing. Because say 2021, you had a really great financial year. You made X amount of dollars. You're happy about that. Now it's like, okay, I got to do this again the next year. So then you start to think, okay, geez, man, like how am I going to come up with four videos a week for the next year and make sure that it's all going to be good stuff. You just, yeah. you can't, don't put that on yourself, man. Just go, yeah. just think, just try to see seven days ahead and keep it there. You know what I mean? Okay. Put out one video. When that one's done, take a little bit of a mental break and then think of your next one and just do it. Literally, you're like, you'll get through that year a video at a time. And when you get okay. to the end of December, you can add it up. And see how you do. That's good to that's good to know because someone uh, as someone that's trying to build up my own sort of online presence and online brand and YouTube videos or YouTube channel as well. Um, w w once you're in that sort of headspace and you put that out into the world, the algorithm brings back the likes of Think Media, who are fantastic. But their main thing is do this. Reverse engineer your like content strategy, and all it's gonna crack. And you're right; it sometimes can be. Not it doesn't not necessarily just show you the light. It just gives you a big long list of homework that you're like, oh fuck! If I didn't know anything now, I definitely don't know anything. Or if I didn't know anything before, I definitely don't know anything now. And just um, yeah, so it's lovely and refreshing to hear from someone who has a channel as successful as yours that you are literally just mm -hmm. some days you're kind of just thinking of it just beforehand, and um, yeah. and that's great. So if someone is out there um, wanting to start a drumming YouTube channel. What do they need to get started? You really bare bones. What do they need to get started? Bare bones. These days, you just, you got to start with a good camera. And these, that can be your phone. Like phones yeah. right now are ridiculous. You can shoot movies on phones right now. You can. So before you could get away with sort of half-assing it. Now you can't. Mm -hmm. Like if it doesn't look awesome and sound great, then you're going to get lost in the competition because... The production value of a lot of these channels has gone way up, way up, right? Everybody's yeah. shooting in 4K now. So, you know, even 1080p now is old hat. It is, isn't it? Funny. At, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny that way. 
Yeah. Um, but you know, everything you can shoot 4K on your phone now, so that's not really that big of a deal. Um, but just on top of that, you got to make sure that you're cut out to do it because it's not enough to just be a good drummer. Because there's plenty of really good drummers out there that are horrible teachers. They just can't the people, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, just make sure you have a knack for communicating. You know how to put an idea out without, uh, you know, ripping off other people's content and all that kind of stuff. The other thing, too, is, you know, try to avoid having sort of a camera personality because that's a turnoff to a lot of people. Okay, you know what, what I mean? does that mean? Though? That basically is just like, I mean, there are people out there that get in front of the camera and talk a certain way. And there are people that they know that are probably watching them like, dude, you don't talk like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you yeah, doing? Yeah. Why put on the persona? Like, why can't you just talk about, why can't you just show somebody how to do something without getting up there and putting on your online voice and dreaming that? Don't do any of that stuff. It's a turn off. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't need to do that. It's not going to make your channel any more popular. You know, just pretend that there's a dude or a girl in your drum room that wants to learn how to play and you're showing them something. And just turn yeah. on the camera and just do that. If you got a sense of humor, that's cool. You can sort of take advantage of that because that's always fun to see. Yeah. Anything that you can, anything you can use to make your audience feel comfortable is cool. But the teachers that sound like teachers that are constantly wanting mm. to review that they're a teacher and you're the student, mm. that can turn people off and just sort of make them feel, you know, they want to feel comfortable when they're watching your content. So if you got that type of personality, stick with that. Don't worry about coming up with some kind of altered, alternate persona for the camera because that's a big turn off. Um, yeah. And then, of course, Having the environment for your room set up is becoming sort of a thing now, too. You can't just yeah. have a curtain up behind you and in a dark spot in the room and, you know, just a cheap camera pointing straight at you. Put a little effort into your environment before you set yeah. your camera up and start shooting. Like, act yeah. like you care what your channel looks like. You of course. I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just put some thought into what your channel is going to look like. And make sure your audio is good. Stick a couple of mics on your kit if you have to. If you're going to be serious about this, then don't shy away from investing money in some decent equipment before you get started. Because like I was saying before, now you sort of have to. Bar has been raised pretty high. Yeah. And the popular channels that you're watching right now look and sound really good. Yeah. So do your research, find out what kind of gear you need to make sure that happens. Make sure your content matches your quality visually. Yeah. And, uh, and then just start pumping them out, one per week. The field is huge out here, but there's an audience for everybody. Cool. I love that. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I think that's really good, solid advice. A lot of people, uh, I ask them, they're oh, just starting your phone. That's really good. And I think that's that that's very worthwhile and relevant advice. But the whole mental side of things, make sure you're up to it. I think that's um I think that's probably more important than to know that you do need to commit to it. You do need to be consistent. Um so make sure you're yeah, up to definitely. it. Yeah. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um yeah, uh, just to follow up with that whole thing. You know, the whole thing, it really just comes down to you putting out your best content. And the best way to ensure that you're putting out your best content is 
to make sure that you care about your audience more than you do your content. If you put your audience before your content, then you'll put out your best content. If all yeah. you're thinking about is putting out a hot video that you think is going to make, you know, two grand that month, then you're focusing on the dough. You're focusing on the revenue without caring about whether or not your audience picks it up or not. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. So, yeah, that's, I mean, I think I learned that from listening to one of my different podcasters. It might have been Tony Robbins or one of those people. I can't remember, but <clears throat> that's a valuable lesson, man. Like, if you want to put out your best stuff, you got to care about the consumer more about product. If you put the consumer first, then you'll put out your best product. And that works. That's a winning yeah. formula. So Yeah, there, there's a guy I listen to called Graham Cochran. Um, he had uh, a channel. He still does have a channel called The Recording Revolution. You may have come across him, and he has a thing yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know, yeah, he's got a business model called the Value Circle, where if you give, uh, I can't think of what it's like. You give more, and then you receive, uh, or give over, deliver, and receive. I think is what the Value Circle is. So it sounds very similar to what you're saying. So the two coolest ways to support, like if you're, if you're a fan of my my uh, YouTube channel, and you want extra support. You want to show some extra support. The two best ways, Patreon you can do, or you can just pick up a piece of merch. Just go to robbarnapparel.com and just pick up a piece of merch. Get a hoodie, get a t-shirt, stuff like that. All that just helps, you know, just yeah. keep the ball rolling for me. So, And merch is a big deal. Like, I was excited to get into merch and start creating these cool things that drummers can wear to their rehearsals and gigs and backyard barbecues and stuff like that. So, Yeah, cool. It was yeah. one thing I never even, I never thought of, and I can't remember who. It just all of a sudden overnight became a thing that every YouTube channel had uh, had merchandise. And I was like, this is just how, I think, I'm going to sound like, I'm only 30, but I'm away to sound like I'm about 90. But kids nowadays <laughs> I really don't think, understand how much of a, how big of a thing YouTube is. I really don't think yeah. they understand the impact it had no. once it did take off. Because I was like, See, when I saw a YouTube channel had merchandise, I was like, what do you mean you've got merchandise? You're making videos and putting them on the internet. What are you doing? Mm. Do you know what I mean? But like, that's 100% legitimate. That's how you do it nowadays. 100%, man. Like I said, when you have a YouTube channel, it's like a TV channel. YouTube is yeah. like the new cable TV. You have your own TV channel and you got to treat it that way, which means you got to start thinking about advertising and what kind of stuff you want to advertise on your channel. Start selling your own stuff on your channel. Like it's your, this is your outlet to reach people yeah. all over the planet. Masses, yeah, yeah. So treat it that way. You know, yeah. you got to think beyond just popping up videos. Like what else can you do with your channel? Like take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. kids nowadays, it's it, they really don't think they understand. I'm coming from the era where you had to write down, like, the, you couldn't save your game on the Sega. You just had to write down the code to get to that <laughs> level the next time. Do you know what I mean? And people yeah. nowadays, I, I saw a TikTok not long ago of a child, uh, like, two or three years old, and she was playing an old Game Boy Color. And she was, like, trying to make the screen bigger. I was like, oh, bless you, Dar. So, so, so... <laughs> Even me being in kind of like the generation that kind of saw YouTube take off, it still it still blows my mind how big it is. So it's just it's, it's massive, man. It's so big. It's yeah. incomparable for kids of the generations from after mine to understand just how big of a thing that is. Um, but yeah, yeah. And look, what a time to be alive! I'm delighted that we have it. Yeah, man. Like once you get into it, like if you if it's something that you really want to do, number one, you got to commit. You got to make sure that you devote as much time as you can 
mm-hmm. and to building it up. Once you get into it, then you will really know, like on the back end of YouTube, it is a massive machine. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot, there's a lot of dollars that goes into YouTube. And there's a lot of creators out here making yeah. really good money. It's a full-time career if you want it to be. Yeah. So, you know, just treat it that way and you'll do all right. Amazing. Speaking of careers, Rob, what's next for you? What's on the cards? Are you working on anything just now? Uh, not really, man. I'm just sort of keeping this thing up. Like I'm continuing to build relationships with different companies and those relationships are growing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really happy about my partnership with, uh, with Drumeo. That's become a really cool thing. Yeah. Um, and with Sweetwater and a few other companies that I'm really like just happy to be, uh, to be partnered up with. So it's just a matter of, you know, just plugging away at the channel and I'm just going to keep building these relationships. And this is my thing now, man. This is what I do. I still, I love the stage and I'm still doing that. Like, I don't ever want that to go away. Um, I still like performing, but, you know, my full time now is just being in front of this camera. So I love it. Keep it. Well, well keep it up. You're doing an amazing job. Um, I love Thanks, watching man. your videos and I've, I've learned so much uh, from your videos. I've then went and passed on to some of my own drum students. So um, nice. Yeah. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Before I let you go, Rob, let's jump into a quick fire round of just some, like I like to explain these as like icebreakers at the end because yeah, mm. let's just make sure the ice is good and broken. There's, there, there's no musical re- relation. There, there's nothing music, music re- related really. It's just a bit of crack. So um, question number one, let's have, let's ask you this one. So question number one, if you could live in any era, what would you choose and why? I would pack everything up and move back to the 90s. Oh, the 90s. Why the 90s? I don't know, man. Like, all of the best music came out in the 90s. All of the coolest everything came out of the night, right? X-Files, like, like all the best shows, Martin. Like, everything was wicked cool in the 90s. Okay. Everything. I would pack my stuff up, and I would move back there. Like, all of my favorite artists were at their biggest. Like, Depeche Mode, I'm a big Depeche Mode fan. Hip-hop was at its peak in the 90s. Like it was just hands down. I would pack everything up, hop onto a bus, and drive back to the 90s and just get me a nice house and camp out for the rest of my life. Okay, fair enough. See, I was around during the 90s, <laughs> but like, like just about. And all I remember of the 90s was like itchy jumpers that had ducks on them. Um, so, <laughs> and having to write down the cheat codes of your Sega game. So, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And uh, but yeah, 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 okay, fair enough. I was, I don't think I've ever heard anyone, I've always heard everyone say, Oh, the 80s were amazing. I feel sorry for you for not being around during the 80s or the 70s were brilliant uh, or the 60s, or I'd love to go back to Victorian, whatever. Never once have I ever heard anyone say that they'd like to go back to the 90s because of the whole, like, I suppose it, it depends on what side of the fence you're on, but the whole grunge thing kind of either ruining or saving what saving music, whatever way you want to go. But the 90s, no, that, that's cool. I'm happy enough with that. I'm happy yeah. with that. Yeah. Uh, what is the most adventurous thing you've ever done? The most adventurous thing I've ever done was I flew on a private jet. Yeah, tell me about that, actually. I meant to take a note and ask you about that. You can't just, like, say something like I was on a private jet and then move on. So, come on, yeah. give us a note on that. And let me just preface this by saying I'm completely terrified of flying. Completely. But this private jet thing was the coolest thing ever. So, it was at the end of the, uh, the Zach Brown band run. Yeah, And it was the last date of the tour. And I think we were in Regina or something. And we had to fly back to 
Calgary or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but it was yeah. just a. It wasn't long flights, maybe forty-five minutes. It was just a big park <laughs> like that. Yeah, but we were able to do it on a private jet, and that experience, man, it's just like, like hopefully everyone can do it at least once. Yeah, because there's no friggin' airport check-in line. There's none of that stuff. You walk straight onto the plane. Whole plane looks like a limo, and you know you can rap with the pilot, which is cool. And you're just in this sort of like air friggin' Lamborghini, and the thing takes off, and it's it was the smoothest flight experience ever. And I'm like, holy crap, I'm in a private jet. This doesn't happen to a lot of people. No, and that was probably the that was probably one of the, for what I can think of because I'm not a skydiver or anything like that. That was the yeah. most exciting thing that ever happened to me. That was the coolest freaking experience ever, and I got pictures. Oh. Yeah, that, that, that's cool. Why, why were you on the private jet? Why, why was like how did it come about? We just what they you know it was after the last date. We did the last show on this particular tour, and we had to fly back to Calgary to uh, pack up and go home. So. I don't know. They just hooked it up and say, you want to, it just happened. Wanna, I love that. It just happened. Say, do you want to go on a jet? I'm like, sure. Let's go on yeah, a jet. Of course. Why? The, yeah. Fantastic. Like, there's maybe like 12 seats on it or something like that. But man, it was just, it was so freaking cool doing that thing. All right. That's, that, that, that's yeah. brilliant. I love that. I love that. Mm. Right. We'll do one more and uh, we'll do one more and we'll sign off. This is one that I've asked the past couple of guests um, just because I think it's really funny. Now, I think I, I'm the only one that finds it as funny as I do, but that's okay. Um, what celebrity would you like to fight? <laughs> you don't even have to dislike them. You don't need to dislike them. You could be, they could be like your most, your absolute hero and you just want to go at them for a couple of rounds. You get the opportunity because why not? Are we talking street fight or like, like with the gloves on? Whatever you want to do, my man. Whatever you want to do. Whatever makes the most sense. Whatever makes you happy. Okay. Yeah. I think fighting Eddie Murphy would be hilarious. I think I would spend more time laughing. I would spend more time laughing and dodging punches than swinging punches at him. I would, you know what? My answer is going to be Eddie Murphy. That would be the most hilarious day in my life. That would be so. I just. I Get in the that. boxing ring with Eddie Murphy, man. Yeah, that's, that's the it. job. That's the job. That's and like, you, you can like, oh, you can customize your Eddie Murphy. So like, for me, I would have Eddie Murphy in the Michael Jackson, the red Michael Jackson suit, and he's on the, he's on the like the skateboard that he's on in trading places. In yeah. in that, and you're fighting him like that. I, I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah, that would be cool. If he was still alive, I'd say Prince, because I think fighting Prince would be hilarious. But I'm gonna say Eddie Murphy. But fight, fighting Prince would be like kind of fighting a child, would it not? Like a exactly. good strong breeze would have blown him over. <laughs> but how funny would that be, though? How funny you know would it he be? Wouldn't, you know he'd be in there. He'd be wearing heels and some <laughs> nice slacks and all that kind of stuff. And he'd probably have these <laughs> studded gloves on and everything. It'd be like that. Have Just you the seen visual that film? I know. Have you seen that film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? No, I haven't, actually. Oh, you should go and watch it. It's a Tarantino one about... Um, about uh, Charles Manson and uh, Sharon Tate and all that, but anyway, uh, there, there's when you're saying about fighting uh, Eddie Murphy, there, there are, sorry, uh, about fighting Prince. There's a scene in it where Brad Pitt, uh, the character that Brad Pitt is playing, is play, is fighting um, Bruce Lee, and Bruce Lee is doing as all as like oh, what the, that sort of stuff, and Brad Pitt just picks him up and launches him into a car. <laughs> it's just it's funny. I imagine that's what that's what it would be like if anybody. <laughs> Was fighting Prince. He just be like, yeah, that's all right. Oh yeah, his bodyguards would be standing outside and be like, 
Don't hit Prince there. I don't hit him. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Taking bets. Don't hit him. (laughs) Listen, Rob, this has been an absolute pleasure. So it has. Thanks so much for joining us. Before I let you go, where can people find you if they're looking for you? Hit me up on YouTube. Just type in Rob Beatdown Brown. That's my channel. You'll see all of my content there. Um, Go ahead and get yourself a piece of merch. Just go to robbrownapparel.com. If you're a drummer or if you know a drummer, if you owe a drummer some money, head on over there, get him something. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram as well. Rob Brown, what, is, what am I on Instagram? Beat down Brown seven. I think that's it. Okay, I gave it to you. Yeah, you gave it to me. It'll be linked in the. It'll be linked in the description. It'll be in there. It'll be in yeah, there somewhere. Brown seven. Rob, go. Rob, you're my absolute hero. I want to be just like you when I grow up. Thanks so much for speaking to me today. Thanks for having me on, man. This is fun. That was the music career show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends about the Music Career Show.